0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Aghyeh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: So we are holding on page 119. Last week we learned the difference between the three klipot and the klipo, which illuminated klipo, the illuminated shell, the three klipot, is from which everything that's prohibited derives from. Prohibited comes from, is the word asur. Asur means it's bound, it's tied. The divine spark cannot be released, cannot be redeemed. The energy cannot be released or redeemed or elevated. That's what the meaning of asur means. When the Torah says something is permitted, kosher, butar, mutar comes from the word, it's unbound meaning it has the potential to be released when something is kosher, all that means is it has the potential to be released it's entirely up to us, in our hands if we're going to release that potential elevate that energy and be elevated by it or not and he says that now he's going to say that this spark is trapped, this divine spark is trapped in the object that's prohibited the Torah says it's prohibited and now he's going to say how and when these spars could be elevated. They, the vitality of
0: these prohibited
1: acts, are not
0: elevated from the people until their day comes, the time when evil will totally disappear from the world, when death, people call death because they oppose godliness with its life, when death will be swallowed up, eradicated forever as it is written, and I, God, will remove the spirit of impurity from the earth then when the klippot cease to exist the sparks of holiness will of themselves be freed from them
1: so Mashiach will come as we learned earlier that the klippot is an intermediary between holiness and the absolute evil of the three klippot, the three uh, shells, outer shells and the klippot is the intermediary that feeds the three klippot, the three impure klippot when we Go about our daily life, and we go about it without any higher intent, without doing it for the sake of heaven. So we degrade that act. We degrade that act, and we nourish the three klipot. Whenever a Jew sins, we nourish the three klipot. We go about our daily life in the permissible arena, but without any higher intent. By not elevating it to holiness, automatically we degrade it, and we nourish the other side when well, Mashiach will come and the Jewish people will connect everything to holiness all the godly sparks will be connected to holiness we will stop feeding the three clipouts, the three total clipouts therefore the clipout will cease to exist, when Mashiach will come it says death will be, it will be an end to death and the coarseness and the crassness and the arrogance and the egotism and the self-absorption of this world will cease to exist as, and this will be reflected in the fact that Mashiach will come at a certain stage. If we merit, will be initially, in the beginning, Mashiach will come. The sheep will lie with the lamb. The predatory animals will lose their predatory tendency. The sheep will lie. The, the wolves will lie, with, will lie with the lamb. Meaning that the klipot will cease to be klipot. The, the godly spark within the klipah will all be elevated will no longer be any concealment godliness will be self-evident transparent and natural and there won't be any more the shell will be totally illuminated the inner life the inner life force will be totally illuminated and and revealed At, at that time God says the impure spirit I will remove from the earth this is something that God does you know we can do the best that we can do but ultimately Mashiach is God's move. Because only God can bring the Yitzhakara, the evil inclination, to an end. Only God can bring, we can all testify from our own personal experience that the evil inclination is alive and healthy. <laughs> it's quite vibrant, quite lively, quite healthy. So, obviously, if we need any proof that Mashiach hasn't come yet, uh, we can just learn, look at ourselves, our own personal experience. Uh, unfortunately, we still have death, we still have pain. Still have evil. Just read the papers. Look at the vicious war now in Israel, just ended. So we don't need any proof that Mashiach hasn't come yet. So we can do the best that we can do. We can study. We can pray. We can hope. We can have trust. We can have faith. We can shed tears. We can dance. We can be joyous. We can be optimistic and hopeful and be charitable and kind and compassionate. But ultimately. Mashiach is God's move. At the right time, as a result of the accumulation of all the good deeds that we have done, there will be a moment when God says, I will remove this impurity. He doesn't say you will remove. I will remove. God says, I will remove the heart of stone that we all have. And I will allow or hasten the emergence of the, the heart of flesh that we all have deep down inside that deep down sensitive heart, that soulful heart that we all have, but it's covered up. It's well covered up. Mashiach will come, that inner heart will emerge. So Mashiach is really Hashem's move. As the the Rebbe used to say, that Mifza Mashiach, the campaign of Mashiach is God's Mifza. We have our Miftaim, our campaigns, that we have to do. Another Mitzvah, another penny in tzedakah, another, another. But ultimately, Mashiach is God's move. And until this moment, he hasn't moved yet. He hasn't made his move yet. So that's one, time, one option of how the divine sparks, buried, submerged, trapped, in every object that exists in this world, will emerge and will surface. Right now, it's coarse and crass. This world is evil, as we learned earlier. In chapter 6, this world is called the world of evil. The world of klipa, the shell. The shell predominates. And not the good shell, the negative shell. And even the good shell is also a shell. It's also a clipper. It's also not holy. It's all about I, ego, self-preservation. There's no sense of godliness. Mashiach will come, this inner godliness will emerge and surface and this entire world will become a garden of Eden, a godly place, a holy place, a connected place, a place where there's absolute life, a place where there's absolute good, a place where there's absolute joy, Without any shadow, without any evil, without any pain, without any death. We will not need death to define life. Because life won't be relative, right? Life will be connected with the absolute God and life will be absolute. We won't need any evil to define goodness. It will be absolute good without any sense of evil, without any shadow of evil. You won't need pain to define joy. It will be absolute joy so this is the, the this is the era of Mashiach which is actually a purely Jewish belief purely purely Jewish concept the world will be absolutely good and absolutely joyful an absolute life and absolutely connected the entire world will be transformed to this level this idea is a purely Jewish concept you don't find this concept in any of the ancient mythologies not in the Greek and not in the Eastern it's a purely Jewish concept and that this transformation comes about as a result of our actions and good deeds, especially our sacrifice. We overcome difficulties and tests, and the greater the difficulties, the greater the meaning of that sacrifice, and the more light it sheds, and the greater the intensity of that light that it draws into this world, and the quicker will hasten the coming of Mashiach. But ultimately, the coming of Mashiach will come God says, I, God, will remove the spirit of impurity from the earth. So then the Klippa will cease to exist and the spark of holiness will be freed from them. That. So that's one option. Another option?
0: Or until a sinner repents in the manner presently described, in which case the sparks of holiness need not remain in the clutches of the Klippa until the end of days. They may even be freed and restored to holiness. When he, the sinner, repents so earnestly that his premeditated sins become transmuted into veritable merit.
1: So there, there are different levels of teshuva, repentance. There's one level where the Talmud says that your sins, which were intentional, are considered as unintentional. Because when a person regrets his misdeeds, his misbehavior, then if he could take it back, he would take it back. So it's it's unintentional. In other words, if I knew then what I know now, I would never have done it. So yes, at the time I did it intentionally, but now I regret it because I was uneducated. I wasn't I wasn't as mature. I was a childish. But if I would have known then what I know now, I would never have done it. So so indeed, those sins were unintentional because I never intended to do this sin and to create such harm and to harm this wonderful relationship that I have, and this wonderful connection that I have. So if I I would have realized then, so now, in my state of mind, my present state of mind, the sins that I did were totally unintentional. It was a mistake. It was unintentional. I have no idea what I was doing. But then there's a higher level of teshuvah. When not only you neutralize the sins, and you degrade them, you demote them from being unintentional to be considered unintentional, We can actually transform the negative into positive. Where the sin actually becomes a mitzvah. How is that possible? How can a sin become a mitzvah? The commentaries on on this Talmudic passage ask the question, how can a sin become a mitzvah? And it's such a difficult question that they say it's impossible. How can a sin become a mitzvah? It makes no sense. They say what that means is that as a result of the sin, You're going to want to make up for that hole. You're going to want to make up for that scar. You're going to want to make up for that negativity. You're going to add, intensify, increase all the positives. So the sin will lead you to increase in in much merit. You're going to end up having more merit than the tzaddik. The tzaddik doesn't have this urge. doesn't feel a need to make anything up. The tzaddik was always in the straight and the narrow. The tzaddik was always in the wholesome path. He doesn't feel this urge. He has nothing to make up. He doesn't have catch-up to play. But the Tzirashu feels that he has catch-up, and he, therefore, when he does Truva, he's going to intensify and double, double the amount of Torah that he learns, the amount of tzedakah that he gives. So that's what it means, that his sins become mitzvot, meaning the sin will lead him to do many, many more mitzvot than the tzad. But the Al-Tarebi doesn't accept this explanation, because this is not the literal meaning of the Talmud. The Talmud says, page 119, The Talmud says that the actual sin will become a mitzvah. The question is, how is it possible? How can a sin become a mitzvah? This is
0: achieved through repentance out of love of God, coming from the depths of the heart, with great love and fervor, and from a soul passionately desiring to cleave to the blessed God, and thirsting for God-like, a parched and barren soil thirsts desperately for water. For inasmuch as till now, Until he repented, his soul had been in a barren wilderness and in the shadow of death, which is the Sitra Akra, and had been far removed from the light of divine countenance in the greatest possible measure. Therefore, now that he repents out of love, his soul thirsts for God even more intensely than the souls of the righteous who have never sinned. The righteous Sadek, ever close to God, is like one who always has water near at hand. His thirst is never so intense. The penitent, however, finds himself as if in a desert, where the very absence of water causes his thirst to burn with greater intensity. As the sages say, where penitents stand, not even the perfectly righteous can stand. For as explained earlier, the tzaddik lacks the
1: penitent's intense yearning for God. So al explains, how is it possible that the actual sin itself becomes mitzvah? He says it's because it's the sin that actually caused this intense love to God, this intense thirst. It's because this person was so hungry and thirsty and so parched that he hasn't had a drop of spiritual nourishment that... He has this intense yearning and desire to God. When a person always has access to water, you take it for granted. You don't yearn for it. During daylight, the sun is shining, you don't yearn for the sun. And if you're in the forest, and it's pitch black, and you hear all these creatures howling, and you're scared to death, and suddenly you see a tiny match, you would appreciate that light becomes so precious. You've been wandering for three days, not a drop of water. You're in the desert, not a drop of water. You can't find a well, you can't find anything. And then you find a drop of water. Is there anything that will taste better than that drop of water? The thirst, the intense yearning, that drop of water you'll find so pleasurable. Because of that intense thirst and yearning someone who always has water available to them, you take it for granted. You don't feel that intensity, that yearning. So it's precisely because of the sin. The sin creates, catapults a person and creates this intense yearning. That the tzaddik, who grew up in the straight and the narrow, who never sinned, who was never disconnected, who never stumbled, whose life never crumbled, never felt pain or the anguish, of being torn away from Hashem, of being disconnected, never failed, never soiled himself, never really destroyed his life, can never ever feel that intensity. While the one who is far, who is distant, it's that distance that actually creates that intensity. It's like when you a needle. In order to shoot the needle, you have to create a vacuum. And then when you create the vacuum, then that creates the, then you're able to shoot the needle. So the, the vacuum is actually what creates the momentum, the intensity, the power, the force. So the power of the baltruva is much greater than the power of the Tzaddik, the intensity. So therefore, since it's the sin that actually causes this great intensity, this great love, Therefore, the sin itself turns into a mitzvah. Why? How, how is that? What's the, where's the logic? So you can say, perhaps, we have a concept when a Jew does a mitzvah, and certain mitzvah are allowed to do even on Shabbat. for example, a circumcision. So there's an argument amongst the rabbis whether it's only the actual circumcision that one is allowed to do on Shabbat, even though if it's not a circumcision, that will be desecrating Shabbat. So the act of circumcision supersedes Shabbat. But how about the preparation for the circumcision? The Let's say the preparation. Let's say uh, you don't have a knife. You're allowed to start sharpening a knife and making a knife. The preparation for the circumcision, does that also supersede the Shabbat? Since you cannot have a circumcision without the preparation... So the preparation itself is also part of the mitzvah. So just like the mitzvah of circumcision supersedes Shabbos, so too the preparation of the mitzvah also supersedes Shabbos. So there's a lone opinion, Allah is not like him, Rabbi Lazar holds, that not only the mitzvah itself supersedes Shabbos, but the preparation of the mitzvah also, because since you cannot do the mitzvah without the preparation, that's considered part of the mitzvah. So you may say that that's the logic here. Since you cannot achieve this level of intensity, Without the vacuum, the void, without the sin and the stumbling and the disconnect, therefore, that that's part of the preparation. It's impossible to achieve this mitzvah without. So therefore, that that's part of the preparation. It's the it's the negativity that actually led to this positive. So the negativity becomes part of the preparation. But firstly, the law is not like Rabbi Elazar. Secondly, there you have no choice. You cannot do a bris unless you prepare, unless you cut the knife. And you have to prepare. You can't just do a bris. You have to have the tools. So it's impossible to do the mitzvah without the proper preparation. You can't say over here, it's impossible to do the mitzvah without sinning. God doesn't want us to sin. He wants us to do mitzvah. He despises sin. He's upset when we sin. It hurts him when we sin. We're hurting ourselves when we sin. So you can't say it's impossible to do the mitzvah without sinning. No. It's very possible. We should only do the mitzvah. We should not sin. So how is sinning, how could the sinning itself become transformed into a mitzvah? So the Rebbe says, it's because the yearning that the balt accomplishes, achieves, could only come about through the negative. Because the yearning, the intensity comes because the person has been in such a dark place. And therefore, it's like when a person is in, life is in danger, and your life is threatened, and you're running away from danger. You're running, you're running for your life. The intensity is so powerful. When your life is on the line, the focus, the concentration, the intensity is so powerful that anyone who's just pursuing life can never, ever possibly experience that intensity. You know, we're constantly pursuing life. We're looking for pleasure, we're looking for life. But if we've never come face to face with death, we've never really been threatened. Our life has never really been threatened. We don't know what it means. We don't know what it means to run away from death. To appreciate life and the intensity of life, only someone who has come face to face at the edge of death, they know what it means to run away from death. And to appreciate life and to to run to life in a way that the person who's never faced that can never possibly imagine Can never, can't even come close a person who's had a near-death experience, and that's what the Balchov because he's sinning and because he's severed his connection and because he's been so disconnected because he's been in a spiritually dark place, in a desert cut off thirsty, starving famished, at the brink of death of spiritual death, of spiritual oblivion, self-destruction And right before the brink, he grabs a hold of himself. And he runs, runs away from death. He runs away from spiritual death. He runs towards life with such an intensity that the person who's never experienced it can't even even fathom what that's like. So the tzaddik who's been connected all his life, all his life was immersed in wholesome things and holy things, never once lied in his life, never once did anything deceitful, never once did anything anything to be ashamed of. The tzaddik, his whole life is a pursuit of life, and of course he tries to intensify life and to to expand and to grow deeper, but he cannot really experience or taste what the baltruva tastes and experiences. Because the baltruva has been on the brink of spiritual death. Because he's sinned because he's been in that place. Therefore, that propels him and that catapults him to a different different type type of yearning. It's not just a quantitative difference. It's a qualitative difference. And the only way to get to that level was precisely because he he was in that negative space. So it's the negativity that actually turns into positive because it's the negative that actually leads you to the positive. And on a deeper level Hasidic philosophy explains that where does Klippa come from? Klippa. Impurity, evil, negativity. As we learn, there's no in-between. It's either holy or the opposite of holiness. There's nothing in-between. The greater the potential for good If it doesn't end up good, it's automatically negative. There's no in-between. Either a blessing or a curse. It's holy or it's not holy. If potential is not realized, it becomes unholy. That is the whole concept in Judaism of impurity. Impurity comes from a void. You wake up in the morning, you have to wash your hands, your hands are impure. Why? Because you were... Sleep is a taste of death, a whiff of death, shadow of death. The potential of your soul was not realized, was dormant in your body. You were asleep. Even the tzaddik is asleep. When we wake up in the morning, there's a um, an impression of impurity that's left in your fingers and your hands because it's automatic. There's no nature abhors a vacuum. When this potential is not realized it automatically leads to impurity. And the greater the potential, the greater the level of impurity. Which revolutionizes our whole way of looking at this world. Which is why Judaism is so unique. Judaism looks at this world, this physical world, as the holiest of all the worlds. All other religions and mysticisms denigrate this world. This world is a Maya, this world is an illusion. this world is hopelessly born evil, it's hopelessly evil. Judaism looks at this world as the holiest of all, the greatest opportunity of all. This is the holiest of all the world, this is where the actions. Why is this world so evil? Why is this world so negative? Why is this world so many stumbling blocks? And this world is so crass and coarse and egotistical and superficial. And banal. And nasty. Precisely because it's so holy. The holier something is. The lower it falls. The greater the potential. And that potential is not realized. The holier it is. Take for example sexuality. Because sexuality is so holy. And it's so deep. And so profound. That is why it could also be the most degrading. And the most corrupting. Why is this world so negative? Precisely because it's so holy. So, we just learned the difference between the klipat noga, the shell that it's illuminated, versus the shell that's absolute evil. The shell that's illuminated, the reason why it has the potential to be elevated and it's illuminated, is because the spark, the divine spark within the kosher objects come from a lower level. Those things that are prohibited, why are they prohibited? Because the divine spark that's found in those items that are prohibited comes from a much higher source. As the analogy of the wall, when a wall falls, the highest point of the wall falls farthest away from its source. So that those things that have fallen so low, it's precisely because they have a greater spiritual potential. They have such an intense spiritual potential therefore when that potential is not realized it creates tremendous level of impurity that's what we find things that are not kosher are much more powerful than things that are kosher the attraction of something that's not kosher is much more powerful than the attraction of something that's kosher matter of fact when something is very attractive you gotta wonder (laughs) if it's kosher or not it's just too too powerful there's a pull irresistible pull something that's kosher it's Doesn't have that same pull, like a non kosher animal. Much more powerful than something that's kosher. A lion. What's the source of the lion? The vision of Ezekiel, the vision of the chariots, of the angels. Speak of lions. His vision of an angel is a lion. So the source of lions, God's chariot is made up of non kosher, of an eagle, of a lion. So the, the source of non-kosher actually comes from a very holy source. But, when it plunges and descends into this world, it becomes, it falls very low and becomes disconnected from its source. So from this point of view, it really changes your whole perspective because you realize that in this prohibited object or this prohibited act, there lies a very powerful, very intense divine spark. And therefore, when you reach a level of teshuvah, when you crack through the shell, the negativity, the negative aspect, and, and that sin, that act that you've committed, that thought, speech and action, a negative experience, a negative act that you've committed, where you've severed yourself and disconnected yourself, That propels you and that creates, stirs within you this intensity, this intense yearning, passionate yearning for godliness. When you crack that shell, you're able to release that holy spark. That intense divine spark, that intense passionate spark is there. That's what fuels your intensity. And it creates a qualitatively different level of intensity and a different level of relationship and connection with God. A level that the tzaddik can hardly even dream of. With this we can understand, we can understand a puzzling passage in the Talmud. The Talmud says, if someone says, let me sin and I'll do teshuva. Let me sin and I'll do teshuva. So the answer is that the person is not allowed to do that. The person is not allowed to say, let me sin, Lord, I should do teshuvah." The person says so, then you will not be able to do teshuvah. Now, it's a very puzzling passage, because who is the Talmud talking to exactly? When someone is ready to sin, you think he's going to call his rabbi? He says, Rabbi, (laughs) I want to sin. What do you think? Think I should sin? And if the rabbi will tell him, no, I don't think it's a good idea. He says, I want to sit and I'll do truva later. I'll repent. Let me have the experience. Let me have fun. And then I'll do truva later. Yeah, but I'm saying, someone is sinning is not asking a rabbi. And if the rabbi says, no, he's going to do it anyway. Well, who's the palmer talking to? We're not a, a person who says, let me sin and I should do truva. The answer is we're talking about someone who's sinning for a very special reason. A tzaddik, a righteous person, who wants to sin in order to gain the benefit of the baltruva. Because he knows that the baltruva could experience an intensity, could access divine sparks that are so hidden, that are so concealed, that are so deep and so intense, that he can never access. That's why he wants to sin, he wants to have that experience. Because the Baltruva is able to elevate this entire world. The Tzaddik's arena is very limited. The Tzaddik could only deal with those things that are kosher. Most of the things in life are not kosher. There are 365 don'ts. Most of the things in life, experiences are off limits. So the Tzaddik's arena is very limited, very narrow. The Baltruva's arena, however, is broader. The sky is the limit, because he can take all 365 sins, that he all prohibitions that he has trespassed and transgressed and violated, and he can elevate them and turn them into mitzvah. He can take all of God's world and turn them into mitzvah. So the person who sins is like a, it's like a secret agent. He is sent behind enemy lines. he has to we disconnect him we have no connection to him if he's caught we don't know him we disavow him we know nothing he's on his own but really he's a secret agent and he's working for he's working for the home team cuz he can he can go places that a soldier can't go he's an agent he's covert he's under the radar he may not even know it but when the sinner... Why does God allow for sin? What's the intent, the divine intent? What's the purpose of sin? Because to do Teshuvah. Because the bal has the ability to elevate all of the sparks, all of the godly sparks. Take every human experience, even those that are off limits, that are prohibited, and elevate them. It's the godly sparks. And therefore, the tzaddik doesn't want to be left out. So the tzaddik comes and asks the Torah... Am I allowed to do this? So the Torah's answer is, it's a serious question. The Torah is not talking to fools. person comes to the rabbi, I want to sin. The Torah is going to address a fool. Don't sin. It's not a good idea. Who are we talking to? The Torah is not talking to a fool. The Torah is talking to a tzaddik, who's thinking let me sin in order that then I can do Teshuvah so I can be elevated to a higher level I can transform the negative into positive I can access those intense divine sparks that otherwise I can never access and what's the Torah's answer it's a serious question and the serious answer is no don't do it why your calculation is a calculation but don't do it because once you sin there's no guarantee <laughs> once you cross the other side you can get lost there's no guarantee that you won't lose it and you won't come back home. Many have sinned and have not come back home. If many have crossed the other side and you've become corrupted and jaded and the pull is so intense there's no guarantee. It's very difficult to come back home. You tell the story the great master, Master Hasidic master, once met the, the playboy of his town. And he turns to him and he says, you know, I'm jealous of you. I envy. He says, Rabbi, you're, envying me? you're jealous of me? He says, yes. He says, could you imagine if you will do Teshuvah? The higher level of Teshuvah. Teshuvah out of love. And you will transform all your sins into mitzvah, all the negatives into positives. You'll have many more mitzvot than I can possibly have. And not just many more quantitatively, because you'll have 365 don'ts will turn into mitzvot, Qualitatively. Your mitzvah to be of a different level, of a different dimension, of an intensity, a closeness to Hashem that I can never possibly even dream of. There's two versions. One version is he took it to heart and he became one of the most righteous, upstanding citizens of Barditcher. And he did went much
0: closer.
1: What? And he, he did went much closer. That's the other version is he turns to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, if, you, if you're jealous of me, wait till tonight. <laughs> They're <laughs> really be jealous. But, um, but that's, that's the idea of the baltruva, the baltruva. Because the divine energies that exist in this world are so powerful. The reason why this world is so negative and so evil and the pull towards negativity is so powerful and towards deception is precisely because they have such a holy spark, because it's so holy and so powerful. Judaism looks at the same reality as everyone else, and reaches a different conclusion. We are the holiest of all the ones. All religions look at man and say, man is a beast, a wild beast. All you can think about is mud, sensuality, self, ego, self-gratification. That's the sum total of man. And man is a hopeless beast. Judaism looks at the same reality and says, on the contrary. country. Why is it that man has addictions? Man suffers from addictions. You don't see animals suffering from addictions. Remember the last time you saw an animal overeat, overdrink, overdose? They have relations once a year, twice a year. Why is it that only man has an insatiable appetite? Insatiable hunger leads to addiction and self-destruction Judaism teaches us precisely because man is essentially divine and godly at our core at our essence we are divine and godly and therefore we yearn for something undefined for something godly and that's why we have these powerful addictions so we look at the same reality and we come to a different conclusion 180 degree opposite of everyone else the reason why this world is so corrupt and so addictive and so self-destructive and so dark is precisely because it's so, the light is so powerful. The energy in this world is so powerful. Nothing in heaven or in the heaven of heavens could compare with the power and the intensity of the light of the divine light that exists in this world. The greatest potential. Where do we touch the undefined part of God? It's only in this world. It's found in this world. And that's why we have the potential to sink so low. Why this world could be so decadent and corrupt and self-destructive? As the Nachmanides who made Aliyah to Israel in his elder, elder age, and he describes the land of Israel, it was desolate, devastated, and he writes, the Mishnah says, that there are ten levels of holiness in the land of Israel. The land of Israel, Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, and then within the Temple Mount itself, level level after level till the holy of holies he describes he says it appears that Israel the holier it is the more desolate it is the greater the level of holiness the more destructive and that's the way it works the greater the level of holiness the greater the potential when that potential is not realized and there's a void it leads to the lowest degradation the greatest corruption so the sin itself becomes a mitzvah. Because the sin itself, what's the motivating force behind the sin? Where's that energy coming from? Deep down, internally, that energy is really a powerfully positive energy, a very intense energy. It's so powerful, that when it comes, when it shattered and it came into this world, it expresses itself in such a negative, destructive way. But it's a powerfully positive energy. So when the baltruva does teshuva and it cracks through the shell, and he accesses that energy, that that love that passion and that holy holiness, that fire is something that Sadiq can never even dream of even touching. Because he can't access that level of holiness. So the negative itself is transformed into positive, because deep down the negative is really positive. It's not what it appears to be. It's it's negative. But why is it negative? Where is it coming from? At, it, at its root, at its source, at its core, at its essence. It's a very holy spark. And the holier the spark, the lower it falls, the more decadent and corrupt it is. So when you're able to access it and to reach it, it elevates you and leads you to the most powerful places. Which explains why Isaac wanted to bless Asaph. Isaac knew who Asaph was. He was a lowlife, a bum, a hunter, a rank materialist. But Esav saw the potential. Where does this come from? How did Esav turn out to be so decadent and corrupt? Precisely because the root and the source of Esav is very profound, very deep, very powerful. It comes from a level of holiness that's even greater than Yaakov's. And that's why, in that void, when Esav did not live up to his holy potential, he fell to the lowest level he stooped to the lowest level he became totally decadent and Asa, Yitzhak was looking at the inner the inner, the potential what was really going on the curse is really a blessing deep down inside the curse is really a blessing the negativity is really positive it's the positive that causes that negativity and he wanted to access it erroneously he thought by blessing him he would be able to access and redeem and release all those sparks that's all separate discussion but we, that's where he was coming from because his view of this world and the Jews view of this world the Torah's view of this world is 180 degree diametrically opposed to everyone else's perspective we look at this world as the holiest of all the worlds, with the greatest revelation of godliness is only in this world Something that the heavenly beings, the pure angels and angelic beings and souls and disembodied souls and the heavens and the heavens of heavens can never ever dream of accomplishing and achieving. They could only accomplish and achieve in this lowly world, in the lowest of all the world, this most materialistic, this most gross, coarse, crass, egotistical, self, self-absorbed, nasty, brutish world. This is really the holiest of the world and precisely because it's the holiest because it has the greatest level of godliness that's why it appears to be so cursed and so negative and wrapped up in a shell triple shell covered up, concealed so when the Baal is able to crack through the shell and as a result of his being disconnected consciously disconnected he feels such an intense yearning and passion and hunger and he's famished and a passionate yearning to godliness, he's able to access those divine sparks and reveal that the negative itself is truly positive. And that was the whole intent from the beginning, why God even allowed for a person to sin and to stumble, just in order for him to be able to do tshuva. So yes, this is not a path that a person should choose. In the beginning, if you come to the Torah, you come to the rabbi and say, should I sin and then I'll do tshuva. the answer is absolutely not. But once a person on his own without asking, went ahead and stumbled and sinned and failed and soiled himself and disconnected himself and self destructing he has to realize, don't be depressed. Realize that this is all a divine plan, a divine scheme. You are the agent behind enemy lines. There is no visible connection to home base, but you are really working on home base. And your mission is to elevate all of God's worlds, to elevate even those... Experiences, human experiences, are off limits, and to reconnect them and elevate them back so, to Godliness.
0: Adam sinned to do greater tshuva than, than if he had stayed righteous.
1: Yes, that's what the midrash says. Ultimately, everything was divine scheme. Ultimately, God wanted this because only by sinning, only by falling,
0: could, reach a higher-
1: could we reach the highest level. So that's why God allowed all these sins, the sin of the golden calf, Adam's sin, and everyone in our own personal life, our own personal journey. Why does God allow us to fail and to stumble? And to, ultimately, the divine purpose is not that God is pleased with sin. Sin is the, against the divine will. It's, it's a horrific experience. It's painful. It's self-destructive. But ultimately, the ultimate purpose behind, behind it all is that God wants us to do teshuvah. To reach those sparks, the deepest sparks, the holiest sparks, the most inaccessible sparks. And that also explains how the exile progresses. As we go, as we progress within the exile, it gets darker and darker and darker. The sin, the lies, the crassness, the coarseness, the egotism, the lies, the deception only becomes more and more prominent. Because right before the coming of Mashiach, with each passing moment of the exile, we have to reach and access the deepest sparks, the holiest sparks, that have fallen the farthest away from the top of the wall. That's why the most negative experiences, as time progresses, we keep on going, reaching deeper into the exile, a darker aspect of the exile, because we have to elevate the deepest, highest, most intense sparks, which will usher in the coming of Mashiach. As our sages say, where penitents stand, not even the perfectly righteous can stand. For as explained earlier, the tzaddik lacks the penitent's intense yearning for Hashem. Only concerning repentance out of such great love has it been said, that the penitent's premeditated sins become for him like virtues, since through them, through the sins which previously had distanced him from Hashem, he attained when he repented to this great love. Thus his sins affected him in the same way as mitzvah. They brought about within him a greater love of Hashem. In summary, it is possible even now, before evil completely disappears from the earth, to extricate the vitality of forbidden acts from the people through repentance out of love of Hashem. Okay, let's, we'll stop there. This
0: class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com